Well, we are going to proceed here tonight um, into an area that uh, I have purposely left chronologically because I've been trying to go through these to a degree chronologically. I did reverse some aspects of our signs of the times um, when we dealt with the nations and Israel. I wanted to do Israel first um, because of its place in Scripture in the Old Testament by and large, although we have Old Testament Scripture, of course, Daniel and and uh, Habakkuk and other passages that talk about the nations, certainly, and that one nation. But we've been trying to move through, especially towards the latter part of this study, of those things that are really only going to come to light at the very end, and that we should see these signs that may be, uh, to some degree or another, evident in other generations um, but never to the precision, never to the magnitude, and never to the, um, oh, what do I want to say, never as obvious as they are in this day, in this age. And so we uh, have looked at those, and I've avoided one area, and it's probably the area that I hear the most talked about among even um, the more traditional pre-trib, imminent return people, um, referring to those as, well, God's coming must be soon because, and they list, uh, they're usually making those statements um, after certain events. Um, And no, it's not referring to the violence that we had in Connecticut this past week in our country and then in China as well this past week or two weeks, um, a very similar event. but uh, rather, it's referring to something that Christ uh, described and I want to look at a little bit. And we tend to jump in our minds to Matthew 24, but I would rather tonight go to um, the Luke narrative, the Luke uh, uh, presentation of that. And that isn't just because I like what it says better. It's not... You know, you can't prefer one scripture over another because they all need to be very high in our esteem equally. Um, but rather because of our familiarity with Matthew 24 and our lack of familiarity with Luke 21, I think it is necessary for us to maybe visit that a little more often. I reference Matthew 24 all the time, and uh, it is not the only place that that... Uh, statements of Christ and the answers really that he's giving to the disciples is recorded. So we have here in Luke 21 um, the same kind of questioning, a little bit of a different uh, setting uh, it seems, but really it's just another perspective. But the same questions in verse 7 of chapter 21 says, uh, Teacher, when will these things be? And there... And, so they want to know a chronology. When will it happen? Just like many of us. And then the second question is, what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And there is that question. This is what really our whole study has been on, are what are the signs that will take place when it's about to happen? And it's the, the nature of that second question that Jesus is going to handle. Um, but before he does so, He's really going to press them to uh, not be too anticipatory. Realize you have some time between now and then. You have some occurrences that are going to happen. Um, nations are going to rise against nation. You're going to have wars. You're going to have 
commotions. It says, don't be terrified. This all happens first. You're going to have famine, pestilence, earthquakes. Um, all these are the beginning. Uh, in, in Matthew describes these are the beginning of birth pains. Um, uh, you're going to have many people saying that the time is now, the time is now, or I am the Christ, I am the Christ, I am the... And uh, so you have these descriptions of Christ. And of course, we come down to verse 10, 11, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilence, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. Um, and again, this is all in the context of the end will not come immediately. That's not the immediate signs. And what we're looking for are immediate signs of the end times. Um, in other words, is it coming to a close? Is this age coming to a close? As long as these signs persist, to the degree that they persist in the manner that Christ describes, is the degree that we can uh, conclude that the church age is the age of the times of the Gentiles will continue. And he talks about patience, uh, that we need to be waiting. Um, there's going to be uh, an attack upon the people of God, and that's in verse 12 through 18, 19. Um, you know, before the end comes, uh, before all these things, this generation, the one he's talking to, the apostles, here's what's going to happen to you particularly. Um, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be delivered up into synagogues, prisons. You're brought before kings and rulers. It'll turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Settle in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you'll answer, for I'll give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries sorry, will not be able to contradict or resist. You'll be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, friends. They'll put some of you to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. But your patience, by your patience, possess your souls." And so we have that description that here's what you, first generation apostles and followers of Christ, are going to endure. Um, and by extension, what will be going on during the church age will be this activity. Uh, that this will be, that there will be opposition all about us. And the idea that somehow there's going to be opposition of a different nature or of a of a more violent and direct, and it's going to get really, really, really bad for Christians at the hands of the world uh, at the very end, um, I really don't find that extensively because really the world has been against us from Acts on. Um, and that's what Christ determined and, and told us. Um, Paul tells through much tribulation you're going to have to enter in the kingdom of God. That's not just for the last generation. That's for every generation. And so I have been uh, purposely not focusing on these. Uh, and within this category of extensions of time, of chronology, um, we see the natural disasters here as well as the work of nations against nation of wars. Uh, we also see this this opposition against God's people. And so no, I don't uh, hold out that it is when there is fierce opposition against the church that that is the sign of the end times. Uh, again, when we studied the nations, one of the things we saw was the wearing out of the saints, which is a whole different kind of persecution of this gradual deterioration of Christianity. That that is evidence of what the final uh, little horn 
what the final uh, entity among the nations is going to do against the saints until the very last three and a half years where it says the saints will be given into his hand for 42 months. And then we're going back into more of a violence. But we find a lot of Christians thinking um, because we've placed this passage into the narrative of the conclusion of the church age instead of in the narrative of the continuance of the church age looking to these as signs. Christ has not yet started to really answer the question, the second question, when will the signs of this coming be? Because that's really not the question that he wants to address. He wants for that first generation, they need to know what's going to be required of you during your lifetime. And during their lifetime, they're going to have to deal with that. We then come into verse 20. And again, verse 20 through 24, we have another event, the fall of Jerusalem. Uh, that is the statement that, Christ, that initiated the questioning was Christ saying that one stone will not remain upon the other, which is the condition still right today of the, on the Temple Mount, has been ever since the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Um, when, when that conquering by Titus and the, and the uh, destruction of it. Um, and so that's been its condition. And again, that uh, know that when the Jerusalem is surrounded, its desolation is near. So the next time you see Jerusalem surrounded by an army, know that the end is near. Um, the first time that happened was not, though, in 70 A.D. That happened in 67 A.D., 66 and a half A.D. Um, three and a half years early, uh, the army of Rome surrounded Jerusalem under Cestius. Then they vacated it for some reason. No one knows why. Josephus says for no reason in the world he could have conquered Jerusalem the next day if he had wanted to, but he left. And during that time period... Um, many Christians followed this, and most all the Christians followed Christ's command here, hey, we're surrounded by armies, the desolation is near, um, and so we're going to run. And uh, they did. They ran, they emptied out Jerusalem, those that believed this prophetic utterance. Uh, they went and hid. Um, and uh, within uh, a few months, uh, Jerusalem was surrounded again by Titus's army, um, even more angry than before, and uh, it fell. And uh, again, they, uh, verse 24, there's a great, or the end of verse 23, there'll be great distress in the land, wrath upon this people. And I know the word wrath is there, and that's not referring to the end times tribulation. Okay, that's not the end times seven-year wrath. That is God's judgment on Israel back in the day of 70 A.D., that was a result, I believe, God's wrath at them rejecting their Messiah. Well, why don't you think this is an end times thing? Why isn't this a sign we should be looking for? Uh, because it says that uh, Jerusalem, verse 24 at the end, uh, first of all, verse 24, they'll be followed by the sword, they'll be led away captive into all nations. That is not anticipated at the end of the age. They are supposed to hide until Christ comes back at the end of the age. And so they're going to be led away captive to all nations. That's what's been going on now. Uh, and it says Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles, not until Christ comes, um, but until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So another chronological extension. We have a, another uh, time parenthesis. So we have all these statements by Christ that seem to put it off as something pretty remote from the first generation of Christians. And so we still have the question, though, of the disciples, because their question was, what are the signs that this is upon us? And we finally, in this extended 
description, find out in verse 25, there are some natural things. There are some things among the nations. Um, and Christ goes right to really the very conclusion. In verse 25 says, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Now we look at that list and we can correlate that very easily with the list that's given to us, the description in in Revelation 6 of the sixth seal, um, of the description given in Joel of this darkening and the moon turning to... Let me make sure I get this. One's going dark, one's dim, and the moon blood red. And so we find this description of this disrupted atmosphere of the uh, of the not of of catastrophic natural events in terms of from Earth's perspective, but from the heavenlies perspective. And so we're talking about and Christ also in Matthew the Matthew description of this uh, talks about the the stars falling. Um, but we find here that the sun, moon, and the stars are involved. And this distress of the nations is not comparable to uh, nations at war with each other. This is a, a state of, of distress. This is a state that has come upon them. And the addition of the word with perplexity is really interesting. Essentially, they have zero clue and no resources to address the circumstances that they are under. Whether this is a response to the heavenly circumstances that have just been described or other circumstances that they have put upon themselves during the immediate time before Christ's coming, there's going to be a distress that's going to fall on all the nations that they will have no real ability to resolve and solve. Um, and we find that uh, it goes on and talks about uh, their hearts are failing. They are full of fear. They are expecting things which are coming on the earth. Uh, they, they have an expectation that this is just the beginning. They have an innate sense that this is the beginning of the end um, because of the shaking of the powers of the heavens. So, where do we want to take this? Well, really what I want to do is diffuse some of our end times signs. Um, I know that we have had some radical uh, events happen uh, in nature within the last few years. Um, I, I still just can't even begin to grasp um, that in two singular events, a tsunami in Indonesia and an earthquake in Haiti, that half a million people died in a day. Um, it is over that, between those two, almost 600,000. Um, and to even conceive of that is foreign to me. But when we really look at the nature of what happened there, um, and we, we talk about hurricanes hitting New Orleans and other areas and up the East Coast, uh, the Frankenstorm that hit and, and we got nailed by the uh, Nor'eastern right after Sandy. and Was it Sandy? Okay. Um, and we look at that and we can see, well, we throw our hands up and, and this must be the end times. Um, but that's not really where we should be looking for what 
Christ is describing here. He's not talking about that kind of thing, although that is certainly going to continue um, and maybe and grow worse because we do have earthquakes described and the super earthquakes, which I would correlate with the fall of quote unquote stars from heaven um, to hit the earth. And so when we describe and we see this stuff happening, uh, that is the one thing I hear most Christians saying, oh, God's coming. Well, he is, but I'm not sure that those are the definitive signs um, of that. And we, again, uh, because we place the rapture in a different place in most traditional pre-tribulationalists, and we view all of this as being uh, wrapped up, uh, even the destruction of Jerusalem, things like that, and, and put it all as future to um, even us, uh, we wrap this in. And we say, well, these weather catastrophes are evidence of the Lord's return. Uh, technically, both the tsunami and the earthquake weren't that huge in and of themselves. They weren't that big a deal. Um, the biggest problem is not the natural event. The problem is the population centers that were involved. Uh, the fact that we have populated these areas um, that are prone to or uh, uh, liable to it. If you look at uh, what happened in California and the great quakes back then, the great ones that leveled San Francisco, um, and you look at the population that was there during that time period, um, it's very different than today. Would you agree? If that same quake had happened today, we would see the kind of death rate that we have seen in other places. And so it's not necessarily that the natural disasters are worse today, but rather that the population density has increased in some of those key regions um, that make them so deadly. And uh, so I'm not going to get involved in geology and... Uh, and weather forecasting to make those declarations. But one of the things the Bible does tell us to do is that one of the signs is going to be the sun, moon, the stars, um, and that this is going to distress the nations. They have no resources to address it. Yes, the sea and the waves are engaged in that. Um, but I want you to notice that in the midst of the powers of heaven shaken, what everyone sees. What they see is the sign of the Son of Man coming. They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Wow. So we're not talking about um, a sign that says uh, Christ is coming in the next generation. Christ didn't give us those kinds of signs in His answer to, his, to the disciples. What he gives us is a lot of, this is what you're going to have to endure for the church age. And then he gives an answer that really draws us to the very, 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 very last few moments. Not years, not hours, not days. He takes us to the very last moments of the church age. It says, you want to know what the sign that it's right on you? that you can actually, and this is kind of incredible, especially after what I said this morning about the instantaneousness almost, but it's not instantaneous. It is very fast. It is very sudden in its arrival. But from Christ's description here, you will have at least enough time to look up. 
because your redemption draws near. That that revelation of Jesus Christ in the clouds to all the nations, that we will recognize it and that we will see him, but our vision of him will be, boom, and we're gone. So, if you want to say, well, how do I know it's not going to happen right now? And, and we've have, if you want to get on YouTube and watch rapture videos, there's all kinds of really interesting ones, and, and they're kind of fun to watch. Uh, but they aren't really what the Bible describes. Um, the Bible describes this cataclysm, cataclysm that's going to come from the heavens that is going to wreak global havoc uh, whether it is going to be able to be predicted or not, it doesn't describe that, but it's going to send all the nations into absolute distress. Um, there's going to be a cessation of all other activity because it's all going to be centered on this. And if you've ever been in a natural disaster zone, you discover that. And New York discovered that this fall, right? They discover what it meant to be in a disaster zone, that you know, oh, can we go on? Can life continue with Wall Street closed down for a couple days? Well, yes, life can continue. You have to interrupt things. Well, this is on a much uh, greater level, global level. And in Revelation 6, we have this description. And so if you want to know what is the very final sign of this, of the end of this age, um, Christ answers that by giving that description that I believe can, well, I don't have to believe it, it's just, it's almost verbatim, uh, goes along with the sixth seal of Revelation chapter 6. It also is correlated with other passages, including the Old Testament, um, that describe this time. And thus, before you hear the trumpet of the archangel and you are called to heaven, uh, one of the things I believe that we will be able to reference, that is that, especially in our day and age of the media exposure we have, um, and I saw evidence of that this week. Uh, how quickly did you find out about what happened in Connecticut this week after it happened? How many of you heard about it within an hour? Okay. I think at our house we heard about it within an hour. Because we're sitting there and, and Julie's doing this while we're all having lunch or something. And oh, there's been a massacre in Connecticut, you know, and... So we knew about it, I don't know, was it even an hour? I don't even think it was. I don't know what time it actually occurred um, compared to what time we had it. But um, And so the idea here is that there is going to be an enormous cataclysmic global event. Uh, some people would say, well, this is describing a, a meteor strike, um, whatever. Uh, but it describes a great earthquake, the sun becoming black, the uh, uh, as as sackcloth, moon becoming like blood. Again, the, dis the total disruption of atmosphere. Stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. The sky recedes as a scroll. When it's rolled up, mountain is going to be moved out of its place. I mean, this is huge. And what do the kings of the earth do in, in this seal? They go and hide. The great men hide. They have not, no resources to address this. They have no clue. They have nothing. They have absolute perplexity is the, is the word in the English that has been used here. But it's the whole idea of this is way beyond any resources we have to address. This is way beyond that. 
And so they're running into the mountains and asking them to fall on them. They're hiding in the rocks and, and in the caves. And, and um, they recognize that something bad is about to happen. The wrath of the Lamb has come. They know there's more devastation on its way now. And so when we talk about what is the, the signs of the times, the very last sign and is described as this cataclysmic event coming from the heavens upon the earth. And do you think that we'll actually feel it? Do we, do we have any sense of it? Well, Christ said, when it happens, you're going to have at least enough time to look up and expect Jesus. So um, the idea that we're going to go to some mountaintop and hole up and wait for the event um, isn't really something Christ proposes. Um, if if the adversary uh, against us, whether it be nation or Satan or whatever, or mob rule, whatever, um, forces us out like they did in Jerusalem, then so be it. But But by and large... The cataclysmic event we're looking for is not the hands of the nations, but of the sixth seal opening, which is a church age event. It is the final church age event. How does it correlate in the signing of the seventh of the seven year treaty? We are not really given that connection between those two, whether it is simultaneously whether well, the seven-year treaty is immediately following this as if preceding it um, we're not really given that information and so we have this declaration by god when you see these things lift up your heads your redemption draws near so christ back in luke 21 says okay you got all this church age stuff so just um don't Get it in your mind that somehow this is what's on next week's agenda. Okay? The prophecy I have is going to come true, but even that, you're going to be patient. There's going to be a time of the Gentiles trampling all over Jerusalem. And now we know that that time period is at least 1950 years, 70 AD to now. Okay? And so we know that that's been going on for quite a while. But now I want to, but Jesus isn't done. Okay? We think, well, he's gone to the very end, so he's answered the question. Well, he answered the question about how do we know that it's time to run out there and look? And if we were in earthquake-prone areas, maybe that's the first thing we would notice, or the atmospheric disturbance, we would know something's happened. Um, Bible says, go out and look, because it's, boom, going to happen. So yes, I actually do believe, even though the arrival is going to be very sudden, that you might have enough time, if you are alert enough, to go out there and look. Okay, The idea that we're all going to be sitting in a room and all of a sudden the room is going to be empty um, and there's not, no precursor to it really isn't in the Bible. It is going to, the event itself, the translation is instantaneous. Okay, So it's in the twinkling of eye that you're going to go from being mortal to immortal. But in the moments prior to its suddenness, you will have this singular event. And you will apparently, by Christ's words, have enough time to look up. So he answered, he really did answer their question, but now he wants to give us an illustration to help us kind of work our way towards it. 
Um, he says, look at the fig tree, all the trees. When they are ready, budding, you see and know yourselves that summer is now near. So also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. He's not referring to the last things he spoke of, but the previous things he spoke of. And says, surely this generation by no means passed all these all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. My word will by no means pass. So he's back to talking to the disciples, their generation, when you see this stuff. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, that that day, capital D, now he's transitioned back to the final things, come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And then it just gives us some historical fact of where he was teaching and things like that. And so his full answer is, listen, uh, first of all, the stuff I gave you in the in the first three-fourths of my answer um, are going to happen in your lifetime. They're going to happen. You're going to see Jerusalem fall. You're going to be hunted. You're going to... It's certainly going to happen. And so... And then, in verse 34, he moves to talk about what he talked about at the very end. The last uh, verses of 25 through 28 uh, of the end of this age. What's going to happen at the end of this age? Well, take heed... Um, that that day doesn't hit you unexpectedly. We should be in a state of expectation. This is not necessarily for that first generation. They were to be looking with this extension of time, with this long duration of things. Even the fall of Jerusalem wasn't the day. The day, capital D, um, is referring to at the ends of the times of the Gentiles. So at the end of the times of the Gentiles, if you find yourself unexpectedly because, what are you doing instead of being watchful? Um, you are, <clears throat> here we go, carousing, going to parties. Well, carousing is a little more substantial than that. It's just being involved in debauchery. Um, I think my marginal word is dissipation. Let me see. Dissipation, that's the old word for it. That is that you're just involved, we would call it partying, and what our teens call partying and hooking up and all those kinds of things. Um, uh, most of them know that if they come here to have a party, they are not going to be involved in any of that activity at all. <laughs> it's going to be very different when they come um, here. But uh, when they go to other people, this is what they anticipate. So if you're out there carousing, partying, and uh, you're drunk, um, and uh, you're just getting drunk regularly. Um, you're not going to be looking for it. And then the last one, though, so we feel pretty safe over number one and two, right? I don't go, I don't go partying. I'm not involved in drunkenness. But then there's number three. And number three is the cares of this life. That you are so wrapped up in the cares of this life that you're not expecting the coming of Christ. And that one lands heavy on all of us, I think. Certainly lands heavy on me. And we're so wrapped up in dealing with the things of this life that Christ comes and we're not ready. We're not even expecting it. And so what's going to be our condition is that all this stuff is going to happen and instead of uh, looking up, <laughs> we're going to be grabbing our stuff because we don't want it to fall. 
Kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? And I mean, if we were living in an earthquake-prone area, I'd be telling you, every time an earthquake hits, you better start looking up instead of looking around. What's going to fall off the walls? Look up. For your redemption draws nigh. But our attachment is to the things of this world. The cares of this life occupies to such a degree that the day comes and we're not expecting it, which means that we are going to be caught off guard. So what is the solution? What is the um, remedy? Um, Well, verse 36 is watch and pray. Always. Watch and pray. So we can be counted worthy, and that refers to your salvation, to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And this goes right along with Matthew and also earlier in Luke where Christ also taught about the coming kingdom. His statement to them was pray. You should be in prayer. That prayer is the activity of expectant people. That if we are genuinely watchful for Christ's coming, that prayer is an activity that is a daily, uh, moment by hourly almost event of expectant people. We're not so wrapped up in the cares of this world, we forget um, of whose kingdom we are. That the cares of this life never transplant the cares of the kingdom to come in our heart, in our mind, in our attentions. And the evidence of that and the way to guard ourselves to make sure we're expecting Christ's return is to be watchful, that is to be looking around at all the things we've been looking at and more. Not to wring our hands and not to just throw off responsibility but to drive us to our knees in prayer. And this is the evidence of watchfulness, is that prayer captivates our attention. That we are going to the Lord, not with a grocery list, but we are going to the Lord with, well, from the text, with a statement saying, count me worthy of escape. And I'm going to get in a little trouble here. Um, This is a daily salvation prayer. I know eternal security, once for all, in your Father's hand. I know all those passages. I'm not saying that those aren't true. Okay? I believe that once you're generally saved, you're saved. But I also believe that we take too much stock in a single salvific prayer. And a verse that I sign my name with, and uh, uh, sometimes I sign my name and say the Bible. <laughs> but you always have to have life verses, and I was trained in that as a young person. I want to know him and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. What a powerful statement by Paul. Here he is, late in his life, really, in his ministry period, 
And he's still concerned about being qualified to participate in the resurrection. Are you? You see, if we're genuinely expectant, this kind of prayer, Lord, count me worthy of your kingdom, which is a salvific prayer, needs to be prayed every day. It needs to be a genuine heart tenderness to God that if I'm genuinely watchful, Lord, I don't want to be disqualified. And it's maintaining a position of faith throughout all of our life. This is what it means to be watchful. Not praying, oh Lord, come, bail me out of this. I'm just tired of this world. And I pray that way. I got all honest with you. Okay? I get fed up with life like you do. You know, I'm raising teenagers. I pray that way all the time. <laughs> this is not praying when we have opposition, Lord, bail me out. This idea of escaping what is to come is a statement, Lord, count me worthy of your kingdom today. That this is a daily prayer of mine. And thus, the the prayer of salvation isn't three sentences long written down on the back of a track back here, but the prayer of salvation is your breath the rest of your days on the earth. Lord, count me worthy. Lord, deliver me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, cleanse me. Lord, strengthen me to stand, to do what we were described there this morning to do. Lord, help. Not praying, Lord, come quickly so I can check out and not have to deal with all this mess anymore. It's not the praying that he's referring to that's expectant. It's a prayer saying that I may be counted worthy of escaping. It's a salvific kind of prayer. And this is the kind of prayer that we don't hear very often. Praying always that you may be counted worthy to escape. You see, most of our praying, we make the assumption of worth. Think about it. You're assuming the assumption of worth of being raptured. Our prayer, Lord, come quickly, means I'm ready, let's get out of here. The prayer Christ describes here is, Lord, count me worthy of your coming if it's today. That's a different kind of prayer, would you agree? Than what we're normally praying. Pray you may be counted worthy to escape all things that will come to pass to stand before the Son of Man. And I think that statement of Paul in Philippians chapter 3 is this being lived out for us. I want to know Christ. The power of His resurrection, the fellowship of sharing His sufferings, 
that I may be like him, that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. That needs to be the the response to all of these signs of watching. We watch, we watch, we watch, we see all this stuff. What do we do? If we don't, you know, just get a rocking chair, get up on the, uh, and, and put it on the, you know, one rung on one side of the peak of our house, one rung on the other, and just rock up there and say, here he comes, I'm ready. No, when we watch and see all these signs, truly expectant people are praying, Oh Lord, count me worthy of your kingdom. Count me worthy of the rapture, please. Not assuming your worth and saying, Lord, please come take me away. You know, the Calgon commercial. Sorry if you are not old enough to remember that. <laughs> okay. Oh no, it's Lord, count me worthy today. If your kingdom comes, count me worthy of you. Let's pray.